Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. What's up, Paradigm? If you have a copy of God's Word, once you find it, grab 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are coming to you live from the heart of Kansas City and the crossroads of Kansas City. We've endured the rain. People in the city have been walking, getting their goulashes all wet. I don't know if y'all wear those, but getting your feet wet. But man, we are so glad that you made the decision to join us from wherever you are at. If you got here in the city, if you're there in Lee Summit, we are so happy that you're here and we get to get back into this line-by-line study through the book of 2 Timothy, and I'm so excited just to get back into God's Word. Um, I don't know if you're a history buff or not, but man, recently I've been reading these biographies of history and learning about different things that have happened throughout the course of human history, and, and really when you look at history, there's a lot of tragedies, you know, you, you begin to hear about all of the different ups and downs throughout the times, and, and in modern history, we even have photos that capture certain things, and so there's this picture of Winston Churchill, I think we have it right here, we can go ahead and throw it up, and it's a, it's a famous picture of Winston Churchill, and he's in a, he's in a, pl- a place called, um, I think you call it uh, Coventry, and, and this is uh, really a famous photo in, in human history, and this is the aftermath of the Germans dropping over a million pounds of bombs through 500 planes, and they bombed this place. They bombed churches and hospitals and civilians. Now, as tragic as that picture is, that picture would go on to become really an icon in World War II to try to generate uh, involvement and, and really even excitement about the war for the Brits to join against the fight. And they were showing this picture of Churchill. And, and what was tragic is, is come to find out, Churchill knew that the Germans were going to bomb Coventry for about 48 hours before the bomb started to drop. And so this picture, it's, it's tragic. You can see, even, even see the duress on Churchill's face if you were to look at it closely. And, and the reason why Churchill, he had a decision to make, and, and I don't know what decision you would have made, but I, I don't know what I would have done, but there would have been this, this, this tearing inside of me because I was the leader of these people. I knew that tragedy was about to strike, but, but I guess for the greater good, I thought that I, I shouldn't warn the people. And then the bombs came and catas- catastrophic things happened. And the reason why Churchill decided not to let them know is because the Brits had, they had cracked the codes of the communication lines of the Germans, and he didn't want them to know that they knew that there were some things happening, and so he had the difficult decision to make, that I'm not going to warn these people. See, to know danger, that, that danger is coming upon people, and, and, and for you to know that, and then you not to warn them, that is tragic. But perhaps maybe even more tragic is to know that there's danger coming and to do nothing about it. Uh, many of you have heard of the famous boat that sunk in the early 1900s. It's, it was called the Titanic. And you can see a picture of it right here, the Titanic, you know, going down. And it's such a tragedy, right, in human history. And everyone knows the story of the Titanic, that, that this is the unsinkable ship. And, and maybe what you don't know is that for, really for the, the entire day that the Titanic sank, they were getting warning signs that there were icebergs in the water, Right? And if you look back at human history, you'll find that like there were six separate warnings that were given to the Titanic, and the last warning that came in was 10 minutes before the Titanic hit its final iceberg. And they were saying, stop, stop, and they did nothing about it. 
Now, to, to know that danger's coming and to be a leader and to say nothing about it, that's one thing that, that's, distru- that's disastrous. And, and to, to listen to warnings and, and not do anything about it, that is equally as dista- disastrous, rather. And, and listen, it takes both to avoid a disaster, that you have to give the warnings, but also you have to receive the warnings. And so here's the commitment that I want to make to you tonight, okay? You ready? I won't be Churchill and avoid certain warnings that we find in the Bible if you make a commitment to not be the Titanic and avoid the warnings that you're going to receive from the Bible. Can we make that commitment together tonight? Amen. All right. Now, the reason why I start there is because I think that there is a tendency that I've seen in the church just to kind of gloss over the difficult parts of the Bible. And, and like, there's a tendency to want to come into spaces like this and to kind of cherry pick the passages that we talk about and just to focus on God's love, which God's love is amazing. We should focus on that. But only to focus on God's love and God's grace and his mercy and, and his favor. All those things are amazing. And, and there's so often, there's so often people will come in here and they'll just cherry pick and they'll be like, just, let's just kind of stay happy and clappy. God's love, grace and mercy and peace. And all of those things are incredible. We should preach on those things. But if we do those things and we don't preach the hard passages of the Bible, then we miss the warnings of the scripture that there's a tendency in the modern church today just to gloss over the difficult warnings that are in the Bible, but there's also a tendency to come into places like this and to hear difficult passages preached that you may even disagree with, and the tendency is that we'll hear things that we disagree with in the Bible, and we'll think even when we've surrendered our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we'll disagree with something that's in the Bible, and so we'll just disregard what it has to say. And so there's also a tendency that's equally as disastrous where you'll come into a place like this and you'll be the Titanic spiritually and you'll hear the warnings from God's word and then you'll think, you know what, I'm going to be different. And I know that there's some icebergs in life that took down my daddy, that took down my mama, but I'm going to be different, you know, and you can think that you can navigate the waters of life and you can have the warning, warning, there's some icebergs and you can just show a disregard for that. And so here's the commitment. I'm going to do my part tonight. And I pray that you're going to do your part tonight. Tonight, the Word of God is going to warn us about perilous times. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this message, Preparing for Perilous Times. Preparing for Perilous Times. And I'm going to talk about who you should avoid in perilous times. Who you should follow in perilous times. And why it all matters and what you should do as a result of this message. Again, if you're just now joining us, Second Timothy was written by a guy named Paul, and, and Paul literally gave his life for his faith. He gave his life as a martyr, and he's in a prison writing this letter to a guy named Timothy, and he's trying to set Timothy up for success. That Timothy was like Paul's protege. He was like Paul's apprentice, if you will. And Timothy and Paul, man, they were thick as thieves, man. They were ride or die. That They had been through some stuff. They had traveled together, done ministry together. And Paul is like Timothy's spiritual father, if you will. And Paul's like, man, you're, you're about to take off, Timothy. You're about to do some new things for the Lord. And let me just write you this letter to give you some warnings and also give you some encouragement so you can know who you should avoid, who you should follow, and what you should do as a result of the life that you're living in this season of life. And so here's what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, start in verse 1. He says, but know this. I love this. Paul's about to give a warning, and he's like, Timothy, take notes on this. You're going to want to write this one down. I, I, I need you to get this. This isn't like, you know, if you get around to it and, uh, you know, uh, I, I just want to offer a, a suggestion, you know, take it or leave it. No, no, Paul's, he's, he's getting really serious here. He's really sober-minded. He says, and you need to know this. 
It's Paul's way of saying, warning, warning. He says that in the last days, and if you're new to the Bible, the last days, sometimes you can see that phrase, you can be like, What's, why, why is the Bible so apocalyptic all the time? And what exactly is the last days? And were they in the last days? Are we in the last days? What's going on with the last days thing? And, and listen, we don't have time to take a deep dive into what exactly the last days means. Uh, I mean, we could talk about Daniel, we could talk about Isaiah, Matthew 24, we could talk about Revelation, we could talk about a lot of things about the last days. And if you're curious about the last days, if you're curious of uh, asking yourself the question, are we living in the last days? Well, we're going to be talking about that this Sunday at Abundant Life. Our pastor, Pastor Phil, like when it comes to end times Bible teaching, he's a boss at that, all right? He's the guy at that, you know what I'm saying? Like he knows what he knows and he knows what he's talking about. And so he's going to share some things and he's going to talk about some of the stuff that's happening over in the Middle East and are we living in the last days and talk about biblical prophecy and all that stuff. So if that is your thing and you want to know more about this phrase, the last days, come Sunday, all right? And so Paul, he's saying, but know this, that in the last days, he says this, perilous times will come. This word perilous, it means difficult. Some translations say terrible. That, that Paul's saying, Timothy, you, you know that you're living in the last days. And I would argue that we're living in the last days. That perilous times, difficult times, they're going to come. And then Paul, he goes on, he says that these, this is how you know. This is some of the fruit of the perilous times. He's trying to prepare Timothy for the perilous times. He's saying this. Here's how you'll know. Be, because men, men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Always love that that made the list, you know? Like, I don't know if you're ever reading the Bible, you're like, oh, yeah, that was bad. And then you come like disobedient to parents, and you're like, hey, me too? You know, like, you just, like, man, I need to go back and apologize. You know, I used to do student ministry. I was working with middle school and high schoolers. This is my go-to, you know? I'm like, y'all, everybody need to be up here after service. I know y'all been disobedient to you, but y'all need to repent. Y'all need to get right tonight, you know? Anyway, I think the point is this, is that Paul's saying that, that when you're disobedient, when you're, when you're um, pushing against authority is what he's saying, you know that you're in the last days. He goes on, he says, you're unthankful, you're unholy. Verse 3, he says, you're unloving, unforgiving, you're slanderers. That's the Greek word diablos, which we get our word devil. He's saying, you know that you're living in the last days. Warning, men are going to be slanderers. They're going to be like little devils rolling around. They're without self-control. They're brutal. This word brutal is only used here in the New Testament. It literally means that you're like an animal. You do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. You're brutal. He says they're going to be despisers of good, traitors. This word traitors was the word that was used to describe Judas, the one that was a traitor against Jesus. He says they're headstrong. They're haughty. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And note this, verse 5, a sign of the last days, a sign of the perilous times. There are people that, that are having a form of godliness but denying its power. And Paul just says to Timothy, and here's the point, and from such people turn away. Paul's saying you need to turn away from those people. These are the types of people you need to avoid. Point number one, if you're taking notes, you could just write this down, who to avoid. Again, this is, a, this is a warning that we're sending out tonight from God's word. That I've asked you to be the Titanic. I'm going to be Churchill, if you will, or I'm going to try to be a better leader. Excuse me. I don't want you to be the Titanic. I don't want to be Churchill. We want to do better, all right? And we, we, we want to give the warning and receive the warning. And here's the warning. There are certain types of people that you need to avoid. 
Paul's telling Timothy, this is who you need to avoid. He gives like 18 characteristics that make someone icky spiritually. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, it's just a turn off, you know? They're just so haughty. They're just so blasphemous. They're just slanderous. I just saw the way they're just, they just love money. They just love themselves. They're just, oh, just ick, you know? And just, I don't want anything to do with it. I can't see them the same anymore, you know? And in, and in the original language, these are all just one-word things. Paul's like going down a list, like ding, ding, ding. You need to avoid this person and this person. Now, I don't think this list is exhaustive, but I do think it's inspired. And we're to look at this list, and, and what Paul is saying functionally to Timothy is, Timothy, don't invest in these people. Don't, don't try to call these people up to leadership in the church. These are the people that you don't want to run the children's ministry in the church. These are the people that you don't want to give as, as leaders in the church. He's saying that you, you, you don't need to, to have, he's like, he's like, Tim, I don't care if, they're, if they make a lot of money. He's like, Tim, I don't care if they look cool. Uh, Timothy, I don't, I don't care if they're hanging out with the right people. Tim, I don't care how great they seem. If they're marked by these things, you need to turn away from them. And he gives this long list, and I think he just kind of sums up the list with these two phrases. He says, turn away from people who love pleasure more than God and have a form of godliness but deny its power. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I have a tendency to like list, you know, read a list like this, and I'm like, man, I'm glad this ain't none of me, you know, and I just kind of read it, and I start thinking about someone else, you know, and I'm like, man, I wish they were here, you know, they needed this, you know, and, and I can start thinking about even, you know, someone else that needed to hear this, or I can even start thinking about me in a former season, and I can, I can oftentimes read the convicting parts of the Bible, the list in the Bible, and I can read those on behalf of other people, but we got to start, first of all, with us, and so let me ask you a couple of questions. First of all, when you look at that list, is there anything that you're dealing with? You know, hopefully you're not dealing with all of those things at the same time, but more than likely you got a few of them. And when you look at that list, it's like, like the Bible saying, avoid, turn away, get, a, get away from that type of person. And so let me just ask you, you know, in, in summary of this list, you see a few things, but then here's the summary. They love pleasure more than God. So here's the question. Do you love pleasure more than God? Like, have you come into this place tonight, and if you're being honest, you're really pursuing an outcome other than God. You're trying to get something from God, but you really don't want God. Do you love pleasure more than God? See, here's what I know about when I've chosen to love pleasure more than God, I haven't gotten either. Like when you love pleasure more than God, you get neither. But when you love God more than pleasure, you get both. Here's what I mean by that. When you love pleasure more than God, what you're saying is, God, I want your things. I just don't want you. And here's the warning. You cannot find fulfillment in a fleeting pleasure, all right? Like, it, it's, gonna, it's, it's just fleeting. You're going to get a temporary thing. You'll get a temporary high, a temporary fix, but then it's fleeting. And anytime you pursue pleasure outside of a relationship with God, it's going to leave you empty in the end. One of the wisest men to ever walk the planet Earth, he pursued pleasure at all cost. He did way more than you and I could do in a lifetime times 10, and he found that it's all vanity, it's all meaningless, it's all fleeting. His name was Solomon. He wrote this in Ecclesiastes, that he's saying that you've got to have God as your number one source of purpose. You've got to have God as your number one source of significance. And when you get things right with God, listen, God wants to give you pleasure. But there's no greater pleasure than being right with the one that patent pleasure, all right? Like he wants to give you fulfillment in life, but not separate from a relationship with him. 
See, I think the reason why we pursue pleasure at all costs rather than God is because we, we don't know what our purpose is in life. Uh, there's a guy named Viktor Frankl, and he's a famous philosopher that survived the Holocaust, and he just says this, when a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. That pleasure may be the thing that you're medicating your purposelessness with. And you're getting a temporary high from weekend to weekend, but deep down inside, there's this gnawing feeling that you're missing it. And Paul's saying, he, he's saying, like, you, you need to avoid people that are pursuing pleasure at all costs. And we have to ask ourselves, am I that person? Paul says to turn away from people who love pleasure more than God. And he says to turn away from people who have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Now, when I was reading this passage in the Bible, you know, I started thinking about like the list of things. There's like 18 things of this person. And like, if this was the biography or the bio of a person, I'm like, I started asking myself, like, why does Paul have to tell Timothy to look out for these people? You know, like, like I would think that if, if, if Paul has invested in Timothy, he should know that you shouldn't put people who love themselves, love money, slanderers, unforgiving, unloved, you shouldn't put those people in places of leadership at the church. And, and really, like, I started thinking, like, would, would that characteristic, those characteristics of a, why would they even be a church? Like, who, who would, who would want to go to church and, and who would want to, you know, be around Jesus' things but, but not really follow Jesus' ways? You know, like, like, I started thinking, like, who, who would want, who would continue to live for themselves and love pleasure but still want to go to church? And, and I started thinking about this, and, and, and I, here's the conclusion I came to. I would. As I look back on my life, there's been seasons in my life where I was really nothing more than a pretender. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I was a poser in places like this. It, 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 was, it was like I was at a costume party in life, and I was dressed up as a Christian. You know, I had a Bible, and, uh, and, and I, 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 knew, I knew like the, the chorus to a few of the spiritual songs, you know? And uh, like I, I could even I could even quote John three sixteen all right and um, and like I knew some of the Christianese you know it was like I was at a costume party and, and the costume I was wearing was to be a Christian but deep down inside I was fake I had a form of godliness but I was denying its power and, and listen here's what I've come to know that costume parties and pretending that's for Halloween all right. And, and when you're wearing a costume and you're pretending to be Travis Kelsey or Taylor Swift at your Halloween party this weekend, like, that's okay, but you're not Taylor, all right? You're not Kelsey, all right? And it's one thing to put on a costume and pretend for Halloween. But it's not okay to wear a costume and pretend in life. It's not okay to put on a form of godliness and pretend like you're right with God when you know you're not right with God. And I, and I look at this, and I'm like, why is this even in the Bible? The reason why this is in the Bible is because when I reflected upon a season of my life, this was one of the verses that convicted the mess out of me. I was like, man, that's me. I got a form of godliness, but I'm denying his power. That's why I'll come into places like this and, and kind of see this is like spiritual therapy where I go in, and I feel better about myself when I'm leaving, but I go back to myself when I leave. You know what I'm saying? And I would have this form of godliness, but I was denying its power. And God wasn't, he wasn't having victory over parts of my life. 
There were parts of my life that weren't surrendered to God. I was still running to pools of pleasure instead of running to a vibrant relationship with Jesus. God didn't have, he didn't have reign over parts of my life. I had a Bible, I had memorized scripture, I went to church, but I was still a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. I wasn't marked by everything that's on this list. But I would have definitely fallen into the category of having a form of godliness but denying its power. And so when God began to convict me, I had a decision to make. And some of you, like, this may be you, and you have a decision to make too. First of all, we're glad you're here. That's why we read the Bible, because I don't know about you, but this is a warning message, all right? In parts of the Bible, they should challenge us. They should confront us. I don't want to come here and then leave here the same person. We've come here to meet with the living God, right? We've come here to, work, to open up the Word of God and to study the Word of God. And when you get around the unchanging God, you who are the variable in the relationship, you should leave changed into more of his likeness and his image. And so for me, like I wanted to be changed by the Holy Spirit, and there came a point in my life where I had a decision to make. Am I going to continue to pretend? Am I going to continue to live in a costume party in life? Or am I really going to surrender to the power of Jesus in my life? Am I going to give him those private areas in my life? Am I going to give him those, those relational areas in my life? Am I going to give him those secret areas, those things I was hanging on to? Am I going to give him those things too? See, See, if you are here and Christianity is like a game to you, it may be therapeutic for a while, but eventually it's not going to end well for you or for other people. Like if you're here and you're giving yourself to selfishness and pleasing yourself and, and, and loving money and, and, and being unholy and all of the things that are on there, if you're, if you're having a form of godliness but you're denying its power, in the end, it's not going to end well. Paul, he warns Timothy about this. Again, he says, man, turn away from these folks. He goes on in verse 6, he says, for of this sort of those who creep into households. And apparently, he was calling some people out for some things specifically that they were doing. And he says, and, and they make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. The point is this, this isn't, a, this isn't a, a knock on women that Paul's trying to do. This is, this is Paul trying to train up Timothy and say, hey, you remember what happened last month? Or you remember what happened last year in Ephesus? And, and you remember those ladies and how the people that, he's like, you need to turn away from them and you need to deal with that deal. Because if you have a form of godliness, but you deny its power, then you will use the church to prey on the vulnerable. And this is one of the things we hate about the church. You know, when you, when you see the headlines, it's like such and such did, did this to children or such and such did this to women or what, whatever the thing is, you know. That's the thing that just stirs up righteous anger in all of us. And when you have a form of godliness but you're not submitted to the power of God, then what Paul's saying is that you need to, you got to turn away from those people because in the perilous times, this is a warning message, they're going to prey upon the vulnerable in the church. And he goes on, he says, they're always learning. And they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Man, this is, this is a word for our generation. We're in the information age as a generation. And what I've seen is that there's this idolization of information in this generation. That we want more truth than we can actually obey. And so we love to study the Bible, but we don't love to equally surrender to what it says. That we'll get memory verses, we'll, we'll, we'll get songs, we'll, we'll go to worship nights, we'll come to paradigm, we'll, we'll get a Bible, we'll study it. But are you submitted to it? 
Are you the person that's, that's ever perceiving or ever hearing but never perceiving? Are you the person that's always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth? Do you know that person? And more importantly and more personally, are you that person? Paul, he goes on and he gives a familiar example to his audience that I'll explain a little bit. He says this. He says in verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. He says, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Paul's saying, he's saying, man, they, these guys, Janus and Jambres, they were confronted by a man of God, but they resisted the man of God, Moses. If you don't know who Moses is, he's kind of one of the, he's like one of the Hall of Famers of the Old Testament, and God used him in a mighty way, and wasn't a perfect guy, but God used him in a mighty way, and he challenged these folks, Janus and Jambres. Janus and Jambres, they were like religious leaders in the Egyptian empire, and so they worked for Pharaoh, and they claimed to be connected to God, and so Moses came to Pharaoh, and he's like, Pharaoh, you got to let my people go, and Janus and Jambres were like, but God's telling us something different. And Moses, being a man of God, challenged Janus and Jambres, who had a form of godliness. They seemed holy, they seemed religious, but they weren't submitted to the God of the Bible. Moses confronted them, and they resisted him. And they doubled down, and they rejected Moses' leadership, because they were proud in their hearts. They had a form of godliness, but they weren't submitted to God. What Paul is saying, he's saying, Timothy, you need to avoid certain people because proud people always resist godly leadership. And when godly leadership comes in and it stands for the truth and it holds the line on the doctrine, proud leader or proud people, they say, well, we don't like that. That's too much this or not enough that. And, and we're going to resist and reject that. And Paul's saying to Timothy, avoid them, turn away from them. Now, if you're new to the Bible, this, this seems a little intense, you know? It seems like, well, then are we just going to have like this holy huddle and just, you know, us four and no more in a little Christian island? And I thought the Bible was about like God so loved the world. And I thought we were supposed to tell, I, that vaguely sounds familiar. And what exactly uh, are we selling here tonight? Is this, is this even scripture? You know, what are we supposed to do? Do we just avoid all the people we deem bad? And listen, that's not what the Bible teaches. And that's not Paul's point here. You know, Paul, he would, he would be one of the, he's one of the greatest missionaries. Like he would, he would write some of the most famous words that we study about going into all the world and preaching the gospel. And, and so Paul is not saying avoid bad people altogether. No, he would, he would say that you need to share Christ with all people who aren't of the faith. But he's saying to Timothy, when you go back and lead that church, if there are men and women who pretend to be Christians and they use their faith to take advantage of people, you kick them out, you have nothing to do with them. You turn away from them. If people are leveraging Jesus' platform to abuse Jesus' people, that's wrong. And that's what Paul's trying to get to Timothy. He's trying to teach him to be a leader. He's trying to teach Timothy that you can go and you can stand up for what you believe. You can go and push back the darkness. You can go and push back the people that are pretending. And Paul's saying that you need to turn away from them. You don't have to entertain them. You don't have to get, be uh, obligated to them. We share Christ with all people. But if you're in the household of God, we, we manage the house well. And Paul, he goes on in verse 10 and just turns a corner and he, he begins to encourage Timothy. He moves from warning, warning. And he says, this is what you need to be about. Verse 10, he says, but you, just love this. Again, like a father to a son. 
He says, but you, you Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. If that's a new word to you, it just means patience. Paul's saying, you, you, you saw my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. He says, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. He says, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Out of them all, God delivered me. So Paul, like he's running down memory lane with Timothy. If you don't know much of the Bible, you can read about this in the book of Acts. And, and Paul's reminiscing on some of the hardships that he went through. When Paul became a missionary, he went to Antioch, and he starts preaching the Bible. God's using him. He, he actually prays, and a, a kid gets healed. It's amazing. And, it, but then some people, like some haters, start like threatening Paul. And they're like, Paul, we're going we're gonna to stone you to death. That's like an old-school like old drive-by, all right? They would take rocks. They didn't have guns. They'd take rocks, and they would just throw the rocks at the person that they hated. And so Paul was like, you know, I was praying the other day. I feel like God's calling me to Iconium and away from that guy, you know? And so Paul, he went to Iconium, and uh, he goes to Iconium. You read about this in Acts, and, and like the people that hated him in Antioch, they're like, where did, where did the guy go? He's in Iconium. Let's go to Iconium and keep threatening, you know? And so they, they go to Iconium, and they start threatening. Paul, we're going to stone you to death. You keep preaching. And Paul's like, you know, the Lord's really calling me to Lystra, you know? And so then he goes to Lystra, and the people follow him there. And Timothy, he would have known Lystra quite familiar because this was his hometown the book of acts records that they finally caught up with paul and the drive-by became a reality and they threw rocks at paul and they left him for dead and they drug his dead body outside the city gates of lystra and miraculously you can read about it paul he he somehow resurrects from the dead he shakes the dust off and if 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 it were me or if it were you more than likely we'd be like man I'm, I'm going somewhere else. But Paul marches back into the city. And he's like, man, I'm not going to stay. You may be able to, to, to knock me out and drag me out, but I'm going to go back in and tell you about Jesus, right? Paul goes back in. This is Paul. And he's like, man, I was persecuted and I was hated on, but God delivered me through it all. I love that we're reading men in the Bible that paid the price for their faith. I don't know about you, but I've had some bad days. Today was a little bit of a, of a harder day in some areas, but I ain't never had that day. You know what I'm saying? Like you may be going through some stuff and more than likely there's some stuff that's going on in, this, in, the, in these spaces. And, and listen, but, but Paul is like, yeah, 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 man, yeah. Well, let me tell you about Lystra, you know. And I'm sure Timothy had gone through some things and he knew that Paul went through those things. And Paul's just reminding him, I'm about this life. I'm not playing games here. This is serious. And he's reminding Timothy of who Timothy needs to follow. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you can just write this down, who to follow, who to follow. Again, he's told us who to avoid. Now he's telling us, who do you follow? And Paul is encouraging Timothy to continue in his footsteps. He's saying to Timothy, man, keep it going. You followed me and you keep following my example. Now, if you're, if you're new to 2 Timothy, we've been looking at 2 Timothy for a few weeks now, and we've looked at a, a lot at Paul's relationship with Timothy, and, and Paul, he was the, he's this guy that just was incredible, he loved Jesus, and, and God used him in a, an amazing way, and he invested his life into Timothy, and, and Paul, his, his life was worthy to be emulated, he was, a, he was a person that was worthy to be followed, and, and I love Timothy, because Timothy, at some point in his life, he, he met Paul, and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to give my submission to Paul, I'm going to follow this guy's leader. 
leadership. So you have this really wonderful discipleship relationship where Paul is radically donating his life into Timothy's life, and Timothy is growing in godliness, and he's also growing in an ability to replicate his life into other people's lives. And so we've looked at the strategy of Christianity in weeks prior to, which is discipleship. And discipleship, again, is radical self-donation for the purpose of godliness and multiplication. It's you getting someone a little bit further along in the faith, and you're saying, hey, would you invest in me? And it's someone further along in the faith saying, hey, I want to invest in you. And this is such a core part of Christianity. We've been stirring this up, talking about this a lot. So here's a big question I have tonight. Who are you following? Who are you submitted to? If you've been tracking with us for a few weeks and you've been hearing these teachings, like, what are you doing about it? And, and who have you postured yourself underneath so that you can learn, like what it says here, carefully follow their doctrine, their manner of life, and so on and so forth? Who are you following? Are they the things that Paul was? Are you following people that are patient, that are loving, that have a purpose and a faith, that are persevering, that are going through hard times, hanging on to the hope that is in Christ? Are you following people that have a manner of life that's worth following? Are you following people like Paul that have the right beliefs and the right manner of life? Who are you following? Now, when I ask that question, I'm not necessarily talking about who are you following on social media. I'm not talking about your digital uh, mentors, okay? And that's okay if you have those. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about who are you following on, on, on podcasts. I'm not talking about who you subscribe to on Spotify. I'm not talking about that. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not really what I'm talking I'm not talking about the books that you read, though you should be reading some books. There's nothing wrong with having mentors out there like that. I'm talking about the men or the women that you are following in real life. The men and the women that you can watch the way that they interact with their spouse, with their children. The men and women that you can watch the way that they interact at the office and you can, you can follow their, their way of life. Who are you following? Who are your mentors? Who are your disciples? Who are your coaches in life? Like I've seen this tendency amongst people in their 20s. And here's the tendency. And because I've seen it in me. I see it in, in people all the time. Like, like you, you, just, you, you get to your 20s and you're like, man, I graduated college and uh, you know, I'm ready to go out there and, and, and make it happen. You know? And so now you're 25 and, and you just feel like you've got to prove to the world that you're a man. You know? And you're not going to ask any older men for advice because if you ask them for advice, thus you prove you're not really a man and you don't have what it takes. That you're going to prove to the world that you're a woman, right? And you're going to get out there. You're not going to ask for any advice. You're just going to go to some digital places or read some books and you're going to take all those principles. But when you have the opportunity to sit underneath a real woman that's 10 years down the road, you're like, well, I'm not going to bother her because I'm going to prove to, their, to them and to the world that I've got what it takes. I don't need help. I don't need investment. That we have this tendency just to kind of rip it in life and fail to ask someone older to invest in us. And I would just say, don't do that. <laughs> Why would you do that? If you have the opportunity to learn from someone else's foolishness, why not take that opportunity? If you have the opportunity to learn it from someone else's model and the way that they, they love their spouse, the way that they lead their family, the way that they, they grind at the workplace, why not take the opportunity to learn some of those things? You don't have to figure it all out on your own. And Paul, is, he's doubling down and he's saying to Timothy, like, remember the things I taught you, and you continue to walk in those things. And here's what I know to be true, man. If you don't have a model, if you don't have a mentor, if you don't have someone discipling you, I mean, you're going to struggle in your 20s and in your 30s in the good times, let alone the perilous times. And when life gets lifey and when life gets tough, if you don't have somebody that you can look to 
and say, man, and call them. How did you navigate this season? How did you navigate this situation? You're missing out on one of the greatest gifts of our faith. And so what does that look like practically? If you're like, man, I, I, want, I want a spiritual mentor. I want somebody to invest in me. Let me give you three things real quick that you can do. First of all, pray. God, would you bring somebody in my life that can invest in me? Would you bring an example into my life? Listen, God wants this more than you want this, I promise. So ask him for some help. The second thing is position yourself in a place to get around some people that can invest in your life. If you're not a part of a church, a local church, man, get involved with a local church. If you don't have a local church, Abundant Life's a great church. It's not the only church in the Kansas City area or beyond, but, but it's a great church. Get involved. Start rubbing shoulders with some other people that can invest in your life. And then maybe make a proposal. Find the person with the most gray, gray hair that looks godly and say, hey, can we go get coffee? Could, could we hang out? Could we grab lunch? And just propose just meeting up with them. And if, and if you have difficulty with any of that, come find me personally. I was meeting with a young adult, and um, he actually DM'd me on, on Instagram. You know, just kind of hit me up out of nowhere. And, and he, he sent me a message, and he's like, man, I, you know, I really would need a mentor. And, and then I met him here at Paradigm, and I was asking him a little bit more. And, and, and I wasn't able to, you know, go all in and into a deep relationship with this guy. But I was like, hey, man, you need to meet my guy. And y'all should, should just connect, hang out, you know, no pressure. But let me just connect you with an older person. And I'm praying that that would turn into a discipleship relationship or some sort of mentorship. And this is one of the things I love to do is to connect people with people. This is one of the things that we love to do at Abundant Life is to connect people with people. This is one of the things we love to do at Paradigm is to connect people with people. We want to see you having godly people that you can follow. And that's what Paul's doing with Timothy. He's like, man, he's trying to prepare Timothy. He's like, man, I have prepared you. I've readied you. And again, my question tonight is who are you following? Who's preparing you to face the days ahead? Who's showing you how to be a good husband? Who's showing you how to be a good wife? Who's showing you how to be a good father, a good mother? Who's showing you how to be a godly employee? Who's teaching you? Though you may not be the boss right now, more than likely you'll be the boss someday. And who's showing you how to do these things in a way that can bring God glory? Who are you following? Paul's saying, Timothy, you gotta follow me. You gotta follow my example. And he goes on in verse 12 and he says this. He says, yes. Again, he's talked about his, his persecution in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And he says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is such an important verse, a small verse in the, the whole scope of Scripture, but such an important verse in this pericope that Paul is saying that you've got, you've got to get this. This is a promise from God. This isn't like a, a coffee cup verse, you know what I'm saying? This isn't one of those things where, you know, <laughs> we're going to put this on a you know, tattoo, 2 Timothy 3.12. You know what that says? It's a promise of God. I'm standing on this promise of God that if I live a godly life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to suffer, you know? I'm going to be persecuted. But I think it's in the Bible because, listen, the Bible's not trying to pull a fast one on you. I love this. Jesus isn't like, hey, come follow me and you'll get sparklers in heaven. It'll be awesome. Oh, yeah, and uh, you're going to suffer a little bit too, right? Like, that's not what he's saying. Jesus is very clear. In John 16, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. This life gets difficult. This is not heaven. He says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And Paul, he just, picks up the, he just picks up the news from Jesus. And he says, if you live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. God forbid that any of us have to be persecuted to the degree that Paul was. But more than likely, every one of us has felt soft persecution before. 
We felt rejection from a social scene. We felt ostracized from a family thing. Uh, we, maybe, maybe you've been made fun of. I don't know what it is, but more than likely, if you try to take a stand for Jesus, the word of God's promising, you will suffer persecution. Paul, he goes on, he says this in 13, he says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says to Timothy, such an important couple of verses, he says, but you, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, you can just write this down. What to do? What to do? Again, Paul's encouraging Timothy. He's trying to prepare him for perilous times. He's saying, man, in the last days, there's gonna be people that are marked by these things and you turn away from them. You don't put them in places of leadership. You be careful around them and you remember what, who to follow, what to do. And then he's saying this right here. He's saying, and you just keep going, Timothy. In verse 14, he says, you continue in the things. And tonight, some of you, the thing that you need to do is that you need to continue in the things that you're doing. Again, one of the main themes in 2 Timothy is Paul's writing to Timothy saying, man, let me stir you up. Let me, let me spur you on. Let me fan into flame the gift that God has given you. No doubt Timothy was dealing with some imposter syndrome, some insecurity. He didn't know, like, do I have what it takes? Can I stand up? Can I run this race at this time? Is now my time? And Paul's saying, Timothy, you're the man. You continue on. This is your time. You can continue in the things that you learned from me, and you can be assured of them because of whom you learned them from. And you've been learning about this since you were a kid, Timothy, and you keep going and you keep telling you know what you need to know you know the scripture that has made you wise about salvation and faith in Jesus Christ he's saying you keep going you've learned it you've seen it and he's saying to Timothy now it's your time it's your time to step up it's your time to do the thing that God's called you to do and he's saying to Timothy you got this so some of you, the result that you need to, the, the thing that you need to do as a result of coming here tonight is that you're, you're on the path to following Jesus. You just need to keep going. And you need to hear me just encourage you from God's word. You, you probably know more Bible than most Christians in human history. You've got a copy of God's word. You have what you need. And you get out there and you get in the game and you make it happen. You keep going in the thing that you're in. One of my favorite stories about the Titanic. I know some of y'all... We're hoping that I'd say Jack and Rose, but it's not Jack and Rose, all right? It's, it's actually a real story. It's about a man named John. I've shared this story before, but I'd be remiss if I didn't tell this story once again. Talking about a man who knew what he was called to do, a man that was continuing in the things in which he had learned and been assured of, a man that knew the scriptures the scriptures that were able to make someone wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That was John Harper. Here's a picture of John right here. You see John and his daughter, his wife. She died in childbirth when she was giving birth to their daughter. The lady standing behind him is his sister. And John, he was aboard the Titanic. And John Harper, he was a famous, famous Scottish preacher. And so he's on the Titanic with his sister and his daughter. And you, you know the story, the, the iceberg and everything. Well, and you also know that there weren't enough lifeboats for everybody on the boat. And, and so they begin to put women and children in the lifeboats. And they also begin to put people that were dignitaries. And John Harper was a dignitary. He was a famous preacher. He was on his way from Scotland to preach in Chicago at Moody Church. And so he gets a life jacket. 
and then he secures a spot on the rescue boat for his self and for his daughter and for his sister and 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 he begins to look around and see like this isn't going to end well and so he steps off the lifeboat before it's lowered down and he looks at his daughter in the face and he says i'll see you later and then history tells us that harper he begins to run frantically around to people and saying do you know christ trust christ call upon the lord for salvation running frantically do you know christ trust and call upon the lord for salvation and he does this as long as he can and then the inevitable happens the titanic sinks history tells us eyewitnesses they said that harper begins to swim around in the freezing cold north atlantic water he's going to person to person saying do you know christ call upon the lord for salvation trying to lead people to faith in the knowledge of Jesus Christ before they perished. He comes to one man and the man just desperately says, I, I don't need your Christ, I need your life vest. And Harper puts his life vest on this man and swims away and begins to chop in that cold water, going from person to person in the chaos, asking them individually, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? And the same thing, call upon the Lord for salvation only to exhaust himself or freeze to death, I don't know, but he died that terrible night. A year later, there was a survivor's meeting in Canada. And out of the 11 people that were there, one of them stood up and said, I was the final convert of one John Harper. And that night that the Titanic sank, John Harper saved my life twice. And this man begins to tell of the story where John came to him and he asked for John's life vest and this was the man that received John's life vest. And then moments later, who knows how long, John made his way back to this guy and asking him one time or asking him once more again, do you know Christ? And this man said, I don't. And he led this man to Christ. Some of you, you need to continue on because you don't become John Harper on the Titanic. You become John Harper when you say yes to Jesus today and walking in the calling that he has for you. But others of you, you don't need to continue down the path that you're on because you're on the wrong path. And that you're like the, the people that are perishing and you're on a path that is leading you to a destination of destruction and you are not wise unto salvation, which is found by faith in Christ Jesus. And you need to do what so many people did that night when John Harper came to them and said, do you know Christ? You need to be honest and you need to recognize the times. And you may not be going down in the water tonight, but you will go down sometime. And if you don't know Christ, I don't want to be Churchill to you tonight. I've got to warn you. If you don't know Christ, you'll live separated from him forever. But Christ, in his love for you, he gave his life for you so that you could call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. I don't want to be Churchill to you tonight, and I don't want you to be like the captains of the Titanic, ultimately to God tonight. And so if you don't know Christ, I beg you to call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the way that it speaks into the, the times. Uh, I think that we're, we're in perilous times. There are people that love themselves, that love money, that are unholy, that are all many of the things on the list. God, I pray that we would look at that list, we would identify the things that resonate with our life and we would turn from them. That we would not be the people that the Bible says to turn away from. That we wouldn't have a form of godliness and deny your power, but God, we would surrender our sex life over to you. We would surrender our, our anxiety, our mental health over to you. God, we would surrender our relationships over to you. God, we would surrender all over to you. And we would walk in the power of God. And you'd give us liberty. You'd give us joy and peace. And you would give us pleasure. For at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, I pray that we would have people in our life that we can follow. God, if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know you, that they would see themselves spiritually chopping at the waters of the North Atlantic and they would see the opportunity of a man like John Harper coming and asking, do you know Christ? If the answer is no, that they would hear the invitation, call upon the name of the Lord. And they would rest assured that Romans 10 is true, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so God, I pray that you would bring that security tonight. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.